having access to your inner life and being able to share that with another and have that received is one of the great blessings of a close relationship. I love being able to just share whatever's going on and to be able to hear what you're experiencing or thinking about or feeling. It is part of the richness of the flow of love. This is Awakened Love, the podcast, and I'm your host, Angel. This is a space where we get real, real about sex, love, and awakening. So strap in, let's go deep. What's up, beautiful awakened beings? Welcome to another episode of Awakened Love. Today we have very special guests that I'm so excited to get to interview. Feels like a dream, pinch me. Gay and Katie Hendricks. Gay and Katie Hendricks have been pioneers in the fields of body intelligence and relationship transformation for 40 years. They've been married for 44 years. They have authored over 40 books. Some of their bestsellers include The Big Leap and the absolutely seminal relationship book, Bible, if you haven't read it, Conscious Loving. And I'm so grateful that they are here with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so happy to have you both here. Thank, Thank you. you. Great to be with you. Yeah. So we were just talking and you said you guys have done over a thousand interviews together. At least. Yeah. At least. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what is it like working with your partner and how do you guys navigate that? Uh, that's uh, such a great question. Well, it's the best thing there is. Uh, I actually, even before I met Katie, I had visualized that I wanted to create a partner, create a partnership where we did that, that we, uh, that we broke ground together mm -hmm. by being unified and speaking from that place. And at the time, I didn't know if I could have that or anything, mm -hmm. or, but that's what I wanted. Um, and so when Katie came into my life, you know, we, I think from the very beginning, we intended to work together yeah. and play together and to make it a unified kind of thing. Yeah, we actually, we dove right in that we wanted to have all aspects of our life be flowing together and, um, and working together and being together in a relationship um, is also presents unique challenges because uh, you're, you're both wanting to have a voice um, there for us, what came up were issues of competition because mm. I, you know, I thought uh, that gay was more knowledgeable than me. And I was always kind of trying to get in and have something to say. And so it allowed us both to take responsibility for sharing what we wanted to share, but also for just the rhythms of relationship of you know, who's speaking and who's not speaking and who's going to take care of this and who's going to take care of that and how all of that changes over time too. So that, that was actually really fun to navigate. In fact, quick story, when we were um, first presenting together, we were, we were really like this pretty much, although we were standing and Gay started speaking and started really, <laughs> he speaks with his whole breath. And so he was taking up all of the space. And so at a break, I said to him, uh, you know, um, I, I have some things to say too. And, you know, if you could just kind of give me some space, you know, I can come forward. And he said, and I said, would you be willing to do that? And he said, no. <laughs> and, was really, and then he said, um, if you have something to say, say it. And it was such a great invitation for me 
to take up my whole space. And I found that if I followed my own impulse, it worked just beautifully with him. And we kind of began to then weave both of our individual perspectives into a much greater whole. But it was really fun for me to not have to do that, you know, diminishing or, you know, seeing who's going to be more important that we could both take up our whole space and dance together that way. And that was really a great discovery. I think also, if you look at it realistically, working with your partner, when it's great, is truly great. It's like nothing else. <laughs> but when it goes wrong, it's just totally awful. Um, I'm reminded of two of our colleagues, a married couple, who were doing uh, a seminar where they were teaching in uh, somewhere in California. And uh, they had a big bestseller book and everything like that. And they got into a fight on stage and had to mobilize members of the audience to get them unstuck. And so when it goes bad, it goes spectacularly bad. Uh, actually, it's too, uh, remember when they first called us to go on Oprah, they oh, only wanted yeah. to take one of us? Yeah, they only wanted to take one of us. And then when we got there, they wanted to know which one of us was the speaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, first we had to negotiate with him. We said, no, we no, wrote a relationship book. Don't you want the two people, you know? and Because uh, it's like a relationship. <laughs> and we sort of had to lobby for that. Finally, we, we won. They were kind of, they didn't want to use two airplane tickets too, I don't think, you know. But, um, they, um, but finally they said yes. And then when we got there, they did this thing. They, and then at the last minute, <laughs> this was the very first time we were on Oprah. Yeah plugging our new book, Conscious Loving, back 30 years ago. One of the producers comes running in backstage into the green room and said, okay, just remember, don't do anything that looks like therapy. <laughs> <laughs> no, two therapists that they've invited yeah. on the show, but don't do anything that looks like therapy. Apparently <laughs> they'd had some complaints from the therapy organization. Or uh, but anyway, God bless all of those talk shows, Oprah and all of them. They were really helpful to us in getting the word out. It's very, great to see, too. Now we've been, you know, our first book came out, Conscious Loving came out about 1990. 19, 1990. So mm -hmm. that's, as of this going, what, 33 years 33 ago? 33 years, yeah. Yeah, and it's amazing to see how much, how many things that were considered radical in there are now kind of accepted, you know, like we, yes. we said things like, um, it's hard to love somebody else until you learn to love yourself. And now you can buy that on a greeting card. <laughs> and yes. it's, it's, it's nice to see those things getting spread out into the world by, by the Oprah's of the world. Yeah, it's still a seminal text in the field, right? I know yes, I went thank through. Thank you. It's been, yeah, it's been continuously in print since 1990. So we're, we feel really happy that it's kind of a classic now because we've continued practicing everything that we wrote about in Conscious Loving. And so we know that if people just dive in and start using some of the processes, they're going to really notice a difference in their relationships and not just their romantic relationships. But we found that the principles really apply to work relationships, you know, colleagues and friends as well. And one of, yes. I think, the one of the most important ones was what we were mentioning about each of us taking 100% responsibility, because one of the big games that goes on in relationship is the blame game, you know, blame and criticism. And, and what we do instead is shift from blame to wonder, like, hmm, what, a, what how am I helping to create this? And, 
how could I use my creativity differently? Rather than thinking of responsibility as blame or burden, we really think of responsibility as being able to have lots of choices and uh, being able to meet the moment fully with your whole being. And so that's been a really valuable principle among the many that we talk about in Conscious Loving. Mm, There's yeah. relationship problems that occur over and over and over again uh, because uh, both people don't have a certain skill. Like, for example, at the bottom of a lot of relationship struggles is that somebody isn't telling the truth about something. You know, that mm. uh, I mean, we've had <laughs> everyone in here, but, uh, you know, like wife has been asking husband for six months. You seem a little off. Is, is everything okay with you? Something and going on? Something going on. And he's, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. You're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. Then six months later, it turns out he's been having an affair with his secretary. You know, in, in, in our office here, we've had dozens of examples mm -hmm. of that sort of thing. Another thing that's at the bottom of a lot of relationship issues is that um, someone doesn't, or both people don't know how to get out of blame. They mm -hmm. don't realize that they've got to create a new way of getting out of blame that takes responsibility, but doesn't blame yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, hmm, that's why Katie was mm -hmm. saying, hmm, why would I be creating this conflict right now? That's the kind of question that solves relationship problems. Relationship problems are never solved by Hmm, what's wrong with you and how quickly can you admit it? <laughs> right. No, what's wrong with you? And then you do that nah, nah, nah. Mm, yeah, that is really most conflicts, isn't it? Is no, it's this battle for rightness. Um, yeah. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. You guys. And the, the, uh, the worst thing about that is if you get to be right, you know, have that little adrenaline surge of ha ha ha, I'm right. That's mm -hmm. all you get because adrenaline has that, whoo, you get that buzz and then it fades away. And so most people, if they run their relationship on blame energy, they have to keep escalating and making Oof. it bigger and bigger and bigger so they can get that feeling of being right. Yeah. You were talking about, um, you know, at the basis of relationship problems, it's often a partner not telling the truth. And you shared an example that feels like an, you know, an obvious one. It's like, well, you know, having an affair, that's you not telling the truth. Are there other types of not sharing the truth? For example, um, let's say asking a partner is asking, you know, what's going on with you? And let's say it's not necessarily an external thing, but perhaps there's something internal happening and, and they're not able to tell the truth. My question is, what happens when sometimes, particularly for men, because of how we socialize men in the West, they're not maybe as feeling safe as connected to their feelings. So when the partner says, hey, for example, with my husband, I'll say, what's going on? And he'll say, nothing. And I'll say, um, <laughs> or I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I feel that's not the case. And so, but mm -hmm. he doesn't know he's not telling the truth because he's not connected mm -hmm. yeah. necessarily to the feeling. What would you suggest in that case when you're right, there's this tension because the truth isn't being told, but one party doesn't know that they're not, isn't connected to their truth. I think what you have to do is cultivate, help him cultivate the skill of wondering about something. Mm. Because mm. so many people, men, a lot of men, just reflexively say nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, oh. because men for thousands of years have been taught to trivialize emotion. 
you know, and to uh, feel afraid to speak emotionally for fear they'll be shamed by the by the uh, group. And, you know, that goes back thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of years. Yeah. Uh, cave Cavemen, when they were out there throwing rocks at each other, you know, they didn't stop and reflect about <laughs> their feelings. <laughs> like, like my granddad said one time, he was, I was in graduate school and he was asking me what we were studying. I said, right at the moment where I was taking a class on self-esteem. And he said, oh, what's that? And I tried to explain it to him. And I said, did you ever think about stuff like that when you were a kid? And he said, no, I was thinking about whether my plow broke or not, you know. Right. And that right. Getting the job done. Getting the job done because yeah. he grew up on a farm. Yeah. And, you know, so we've changed so much in just a few generations. Like even when I was a kid, I can remember my brother saying, and this is late, maybe 1955, telling me not to cry. I remember I got hit in the head once on a baseball field. And I was crying. And he said, no, don't do that, you know, because uh, that what mm -hmm. boys yeah. weren't supposed to do yeah. that in my mm -hmm. neighborhood mm -hmm. anyway. And so it took me a long time to come out from under that programming so I could say, mm. you know, I'm scared right mm -hmm. now or I feel sad or I'm angry or whatever the thing is in a way that uh, I don't have a big charge on it. That was really a big turning point in our relationship when uh we had this moment where you realized that you were scared and yeah. were able to share with me mm -hmm. that you were scared. And I can still remember mm -hmm. how, how much that opened a sense of connection uh, between mm -hmm. us. And I think if, if people are starting to do that, that their partners, uh, you know, for anybody who is not able to really access, is reflecting back what they're hearing, but also letting themselves feel, like noticing what emotions come up in you. And it may be something that's going on for your partner. And if you let yourself just be open to breathing in your own feeling, it makes a bridge. It kind of creates a, a window where the other partner can start opening up. And one of the things we suggest is that people notice body sensations, just like tension. Uh, or more relaxation. And what happens with your breath? Do I hold my breath or does my breath feel shallow is a signal that there's something going on that's mm. maybe wanting to be experienced and expressed. And I, mm. I think that, that having access to your inner life and being able to share that with another and have that received is one of the great blessings of a close relationship. I love being able to just share whatever's going on and to be able to hear what you're experiencing or thinking about or feeling. It is part of the richness of the flow of love. Yeah. You know, um, it, when Katie and I got first got together, we've been together 44 years now, longer than you've been on the planet, certainly. Uh, and when we first got together, we didn't have any role models really for None. what we wanted to do. And at the time, there weren't any self-help books. That right. field had not been invented yet. So there were no relationship manuals like Conscious Loving or anything like that that we could turn to. So we had to in invent it ourselves. And I, I'm glad we did. But one of the key things we decided, we realized that for thousands of years, our cultures had had male heroes. And other cultures, mm -hmm. I'm sure, did too. But uh, you know, you can go back for 5,000 years in Western culture and see male heroes. And sometimes you get 
female heroes, but they're few and far between. And so Katie and I decided, because I was already well known, I'd already written a couple of books, that we wanted to make our relationship the hero, that Mm -hmm. that was what we Mm -hmm. wanted to focus on. And that was a key shift for us also to be able to kind of think as one person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we really intended that we would literally be able to finish each other's sentences and uh, that we, and we would actually rehearse too. Sometimes <laughs> when we were getting ready to go on Oprah, I'd be in the shower and Gay would open the door and he'd say, "What's the most important thing people need to know about conscious loving?" And I, you know, and so I would be just responding to that. And so we would play with how to share the aliveness that comes from practicing conscious loving. Rather, I mean, it's scary if you had not seen any models for just sharing yourself openly, but the great joy of being able to be unedited. So I never have to wonder about, oh, is this going to be okay to say, or should I phrase this differently? And the, oh, the creativity that opens from that and the sense of connection really makes a relationship continue to be a place of discovery. You know, because one of the things people think about relationship is, once you get in it, you're going to get set in habits and you're going to have to compromise and you have to stop being with your friends. And all of that mythology is still pretty powerful for a lot of people. Yeah. You've brought up this idea of unified, like unifying with one, speaking with one voice, kind of this unification almost of intelligence, if I'm getting it right, this unified maybe field of consciousness even. How would you describe the difference between, let's say, codependence versus Mm. this sort of feels kind of sacred to me, unified field of conscious loving? Yes. Oh, that's a great question. Mm. There's one of those questions nobody's ever asked me before. Yeah, well done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the big difference is the presence of fear that codependence is being unconsciously entangled Mm -hmm. in such a way that she finishes my sentence, but it pisses me off. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so what we want, we want co-creativity, which is both people owning fully their individual creativity and also sharing that in a way Mm -hmm. that awakens a deeper kind of creativity in the relationship itself. That's Mm. truly exciting territory, I'll tell you. Mm. You know, because when I got into our relationship, I was very comfortable with with my own creativity. But what a beautiful thing it is to (laughs) consciously entwine that with another person Mm. so that you can write a whole book together without ever having a crossword between you. Mm. You know, that's that's a real thing, you know, to yes. be able to write a book together in a consistent state of loving harmony. Mm. And I yes. think that the tent poles of being able to create that are each person knowing at a, a felt level, at a body intelligence level, what they want and what they don't want and having access to what we call your whole body yes and your whole body no. And see, when I was growing up, it was not okay for me to have what I wanted. I had to check with everybody else. So that was really a challenge for me to say, no, that I don't want that. Or I want to do this. If you would say you wanted to do something, and I say, well, I want to do this, not that. You know, then we, we began to take a look at 
How can we create something where both people can have what they want rather than somebody having to compromise or sacrifice? And that was actually a great creative uh, possibility. And it opened up just sort of more, more dimensions of creativity rather than just one expression. Because Gay is a brilliant writer, and I love to, as you can probably tell, move and interact and facilitate with people. And so the two of those, you know, makes us a really good team. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. Yeah, I I mean, I I would say. I was reading a while back in the anthropology (laughs) book. Um, There was an anthropologist that went down and studied the tribe uh, down somewhere in the jungles of Venezuela, I believe it was, you know, the Amazon kind of thing. And uh, this speaks to the issue of what your values are in a relationship. Like Katie and I value honesty mm-hmm. and we value taking responsibility and we value each person being committed to their own creative path as well as mm-hmm. whatever we generate together as a couple. Those are things we highly value. This particular tribe was pretty amazing (laughs) because the thing that they valued most was making everybody else happy. And especially if you could do something that made the other people crack up laughing. And, uh, (laughs) And she gave some examples, which just floored me. One is which they were trying to get a canoe up a hill and it was raining. They needed to get over it to get to a body of water that they were going. And they would keep getting halfway up the hill and then they'd slip and the canoe and all the tribesmen would tumble back down the hill. And every time they did it, they cracked up with laughter. <laughs> they thought it was the funniest thing on earth. And, and she also found that the very highest valued thing was if you woke everybody up in the middle of the night and thought of something that made everybody laugh, that was just about <laughs> the best thing. And uh, so their values yeah. were skewed in a particular direction. And I speak to that because I think you get what you value in relationship. If you really, in all your heart, want to live in a relationship where both people live in a flow of honesty, that's what you get. You, you just keep doing that until you get it right. And, you know, I don't want to make us sound like we were miracle people and did this overnight. It took us years yeah. to, you know, cultivate these things yeah. into our lives. In a but, reliable way. You yeah. know, if you like within a few years, we figured out how to solve problems without making anybody wrong. And we mm. uh, we discovered the miracle lubricant of relationship called appreciation. Yes. Thank you for (laughs) making lunch yesterday. That Mm. salad was delicious. Yeah. You know, just the momentary things like Mm -hmm. that over and over again, keep the relationship flowing because, you know, frankly, when people end relationships, they do these surveys about what went wrong in the relationship that made you want to leave. And one of the main things is I never felt appreciated. And so we need to learn how to appreciate. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's common in life. You know, you, like when you were a kid, you didn't lean over to some other kid in math and say, I really like the way you do geometry. <laughs> you know, they would think you were crazy. Yeah, or that you were trying to cheat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you trying to get versus what are you trying to right. contribute? I, I want to track back just briefly to make sure that I got it. So what I was hearing you say, and let me know if I got this right, and hopefully our listeners are tracking as well 
is that the difference between this unified field of conscious loving and um, codependence is the come from. And codependence is from fear, you said. And the, the state that I heard around this unified field is creativity. So am I correct in tracking that you would say the distinction between codependence and this kind of, yeah, unified field of conscious loving is the come from? Is it coming, am I attaching from fear or am I connecting from a desire to create? And I mean, what I see in the two of you is that, and I've heard this term like terminology used to describe sacred love is that it's not just for you and your partner. It's something that you do for the world. It's like you, you know, the two of you have created such a legacy of all the books you've written and, you know, what you've given to the world from how you love each other. So would you say that, am I tracking that right? (laughs) I just want to make sure. Yeah, I I think you're tracking that just right. And I also wanted to just mention that uh, we've developed uh, technology um, uh, processes to help people befriend fear so Mm. they can liberate, that's what I call liberating fear juice so that you can use that for for creativity it's not bottled mm. up you know in being you know frozen or fleeing you know or fighting and uh when you befriend fear you then have choice so How do you when do i'm that? in fear when any of us is in fear the other person becomes the enemy that's just how we're wired up uh and we can't think so we get stupid and so that's where a lot of people goes you know i don't know why i did that and it was because you're in fear so mm. as people really learn how to shift their relationship to fear, not to try to get rid of it, but really to befriend it. They just have more and more openness and more choice. Mm. Can you speak to a few of those tools that y'all use to befriend fear? They're always involved with the use of consciousness. You know, like um, one of our invitations oftentimes here when we're working with people Let's say someone is feeling sad about something. We invite them to be with that, Mm -hmm. to breathe with it, to stay with it, you know, not to try to pass over the top or even explain it. So we honor the body here as Mm -hmm. well as the mind. You know, one of the things that we're after here is uh, we want people to let their mind into their body and let their body Mm -hmm. into their mind. So Mm -hmm. the, the whole person grows consciously. Mm. Um, The difference between codependence and co-creativity, one is that in codependence, there's both parties are scared about something. In co-creativity, both parties have turned their fear juice into creativity. Mm -hmm. That's Mm. the reason nobody need ever feel bad about being scared. I say become a connoisseur of your fear. Feel it because it'll take you directly into the arms of creativity. All you Mm. need to do is lovingly accept anything like anger or fear or sadness or grief. And immediately it turns into something else. It turns into pure energy. It only becomes coalesced and sticky in your body when you resist it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you hide your sadness or hide your anger or hide your fear, then it becomes sticky. What liberates you is to use your pure consciousness to open up and own it and let it express itself. And also, Angel, on our, uh, we have two websites, our um, charitable foundation website, the Foundation for Conscious Living, has a whole bunch of videos to assist people to befriend fear. And one of the things that you would learn is what I call fear melters, which are very simple movements that allow you to 
to just break out of the fear trance and experience your aliveness, your the free flow of your aliveness again. And those are all uh, uh, their videos to show you how to do that. But the essence of it is, is that you befriend it by letting yourself just simply move with it a little bit. And then that opens up, it kind of breaks up the logjam. Mm, I love that so much. So for everyone listening, what is the website one more time? foundationforconsciousliving.org. Amazing. So I know you guys also in, in your book, Conscious Loving, which if anyone is listening or watching and hasn't read this book, <laughs> it's an absolute must. I tried to get my husband to read it for, for the first few years of our relationship. And we went through a, a quite a rough patch over uh, the last six months, which we're on the other side of now. And, and he actually finally started reading the book and it was so amazing because I said, you know, how about we start listening to Conscious Loving um, together? And he said, which chapter? I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, I'm at chapter five. I said, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. <laughs> and so now he's pulling me up on conscious communication, which I'm so grateful for. He'll say, is that is that conscious communication? I'm like, oh, no, you're right. Thank you. Um, so if you're listening, please. Um, read that book. It's so helpful. In that book, you really describe the idea how we bring our unfinished business from childhood into our love relationships. For anyone listening who that's just a totally new concept, can you explain like how we do that and why we do that? What's the role? What's the purpose of bringing this unfinished business from childhood or past pain from childhood into our love relationships? Well, we can give you a perfect example from our first year together. Remember the example we gave a little while ago about being competitive, you know, and Katie not feeling like I was yeah. giving her space. Yeah. It turned out, as we began to learn about each other, in Katie's family, her older brother, Bill, was, Bill, was exactly the same age as I am, three years older, and she was always called number two, and he was always called number one. And uh, and he is the golden boy, you know, he was, you know, became um, wealthy and all of that. And uh, so um, Bill has passed on now, but we did, you know, it became such a thing. And because Katie had always been in com competition with him. And so yeah. it was a setup, you know, from the very beginning. And uh, then I, when I saw that, I visited her family. And I saw that in action. <laughs> right. I said, oh, oh, that explains a lot, you know. Uh, so that's one example. Um, another one would be um, early in our relationship, we had a moment. I think you alluded to it a while ago when I said something about I'm scared. Yes. Yeah. Um, I had this moment. I was one of those people that didn't know how to express my emotions very well, you know? And so I knew how to get angry about things. And I think males in our society are given a lot more permission to, yeah. to get angry. So I knew about that one. But as far as something like admitting fear or admitting sadness, you know, that was not cool with me at the time. And one day in our relationship, I, I found myself criticizing Katie for something. And suddenly I realized, huh, I sound like I'm angry and whiny as I'm criticizing her. But what I am is I'm actually feeling scared. And so I just blurted that out, mm -hmm. you know, I'm scared. And then I realized, oh, I'm scared you're going to leave me. Mm -hmm. 
So I need to criticize you a lot to make sure you don't get close enough to me. So when you leave me, it doesn't hurt as bad. <sighs> yeah, that was really a biggie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it really changed everything because I, for the first time, really, I felt access to gay, mm -hmm. to his essence, to, uh, you know, he really let me in. And I, I just kind of melted and I could understand you know, both, you know, how I had learned to get attention and how he had learned to get attention. Because I think all of these patterns are really, how can we get some attention and love, you know, and some something for ourselves in the midst of all of our family patterns. And then we usually unconsciously carry those forward. Fortunately, a loving relationship is a great place to do that because you can shine the light of love into all those closets where things are piled up and let love sort it out. And that's what we found happened. In uh, developmental psychology, we have a, a saying that says, in your 20s, your job is to experiment. In your, thir in your 30s, you find your life. In your 40s, you build your life. In your 50s and on, you enjoy your life. And it's often in the decade of the 30s that a lot of these realizations are made because oftentimes when you're still in your 20s, you're kind of lost in the patterns you learned as a kid, but hadn't dawned on you that it even was a pattern, you know, and then in your 30s, you, you realize, oh, I have this pattern of not sharing my feelings with significant people. Somewhere I have a thing that says, I'm supposed to hide those feelings. That's crazy. I don't want to hide them anymore, you know? <laughs> and so learning how to then share what's inside me, that took me, you know, quite a few years. But fortunately, Katie is a most generous listener, you know, never critical or anything like that. And so it was, it was much easier for mm -hmm. me, I think, in the space of your generous listening for me to learn how to say I'm scared or I feel sad right mm -hmm. now or I'm angry and you know, whatever the thing is to be able to talk about it like it's no big deal, mm -hmm. you know, because it mm -hmm. isn't in a way. Once you mm -hmm. learn your, your, your emotions are like a feedback system. And uh, to be a little bit crude, they're kind of like the, the feedback system that we all have that tells us, tells us when it's time to go pee. Okay, it's an elegant feedback system. Yeah. It's been around for millions and millions of years. Uh, you can even teach a dog <laughs> yeah. how to do it correctly, very, yeah. very quickly, a few days. And um, so it's not a complicated process. But so and we don't make it a complicated process. Right. You know, like when you have to pee as a kid, your mother or father doesn't scream, <laughs> you know, say, okay, go, to go over there. And so uh, gradually we all learn to do that when we're two or three years old. Um, what if we created, created, I mean, we treated fear the same way or sadness the same way? and trained people to be good enough observers that they could tell mm. when they had sadness in their heart or when they had fear in their belly or anger in their jaws. You know, we don't do a good job of teaching people the meaning of those mm -hmm. kinds of emotions. We're a good job at teaching them how to know when you have to go to the bathroom or not, um, or what to do when you get sleepy. You know, that's something mm. that's well put in early in our lives. 
you go to bed and rest for a while. And people don't say, you have to go to sleep again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, it's a lot of befriending nature. You know, the actual nature is making you feel scared for some reason. And let's find out why. Let's become a connoisseur and understand your fear, not try to make it go away. You know, because mm. everything in relationship is grist for communication. Mm. You know, you can make more intimacy happen by saying, I'm scared to your mm. partner than you can by sending a dozen bouquets of roses. Uh, yeah, for sure. Mm. And I was hearing Gay talking about the power of, of conscious listening. I really want to underline that. If we're thinking about what can we do to assist our partners and our friends and colleagues is the quality of listening, really listening for, first of listening, doing your best to listen accurately to what they're actually saying rather than what you think they're saying. And then listening for their feelings, listening for their feelings, emotions, but the one that I really like is listening for what they really want. What's mm. really, what's underneath this that, you know, they really want closeness or they really want to help with a solution, you know, or they just really want someone to say, that was really messed up. Yeah. Mm. And the more we can listen both to ourselves and to others, the more it opens up the door for other people to feel safe, to communicate at deeper and deeper levels. Mm. And let's say as you're refining that skill, that's so beautiful of like listening for what our partner really wants. I mean, listening for what, else, what we really want half the time, right? If we're caught in a pattern, hang on a minute. Um, I liked the example you used, Gabe, about criticizing and being like, what do I really want right now? Such a beautiful yeah. question. If we're sort of still practicing or refining that skill, could you just ask your partner directly and say, hey, what is it that you really want right now? Is that something That's a great practice? thing to do. That's conscious communication. Asking the person directly, because you know there's got to be some want under there, otherwise the person wouldn't be so dramatic about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what do you want right now? Yeah. You know, and sometimes How I, you know, in the early years, I would make a guess. Like, it sounds like you want, but I'm not sure that that's accurate. So I find, too, if my intention is to listen, I don't have to do it perfectly. I can be awkward, you know, we can kind of muddle our way through, but the intention is so powerful. If I'm really wanting to listen, the other person can get that. They really can mm. experience that and feel that, take that in. Yes. And I find what we do, which is as we've been applying a lot of the tools, honestly, from Conscious Loving, it's so, so, so helpful, is, is we just acknowledge to each other when we're not actually ready for repair. We'll say, I actually don't want to listen to you right now I'm not ready <laughs> do you want to listen to me and my husband will say no I feel very contracted and we'll say okay let's let's go take care of ourselves and we'll we'll come back is that something that it you can guys, walk around the block yeah take some space what do you guys think about that and also it, what, what would you suggest for people who get very anxious at the idea of their partner taking some space in order to Ooh, really yes oh, we've worked with some doozies there <laughs> yeah, I, sure I remember have. a couple that we asked them just as a therapy exercise to go outside and walk around the block in the opposite direction. And mm -hmm. she pretty much had an anxiety meltdown at just the idea of being by herself. Being, yeah, being separate and, and yeah, on her own. On her own. And it was a key to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of couples have a real imbalance about uh, the, the one who needs space and the one who wants 
uh, needs unity all the time and the other one that wants space all the time. You know, those two magically seem to hook up together. Mr. <laughs> Lonesome Don't Fence Me In gets together with Miss <laughs> In fact, we call that the relationship dance, is that everybody has an urge to merge, to experience unity, and everybody has an urge to individuate and experience their own direct relationship with the universe. And that dance, we learn patterns of that dance in our childhood as well as from the culture. And navigating, do I want to be close now or do I want to be separate? And being able to communicate about that clearly so you don't use, you know, getting into a battle or criticizing or blaming each other in order to get what you think is space. And mm. that's often a real key for people to to create discovery in their relationship because it's really like the pump for mm. creativity is having periods of unity and periods of solo, uh, you know, long or short. And I think one of the things people are afraid of is if I'm, if I want to be alone, I'm going to be alone forever. And I, I can't really have that dance. And uh, so when we, uh, when we share with people how they can learn to do that, it's a real, boy, it's a real assist in uh, creating relationship vitality. Mm, I feel like that's the underpinning of every romantic movie ever made, right? Is the dance yes, right about that. <laughs> a, a dysfunctional version usually of that. So I, you know, it's compassion for wh where we all got that from. Um, I had a question from my Instagram community that I really liked when I um, asked them if there was anything they wanted to ask you. And one of the questions was, um, how can you tell the difference? Because what I'm hearing you guys share about is is these patterns that come up from our childhood and these triggers, but that the, the, there's this sacred role of love that we can heal and connect through that. How do you tell the difference between a trigger that's coming up to be healed versus being mistreated? Uh, well, I think the first thing, if, if I'm being mistreated, um, there will be... Uh, some demonstrable lessening of freedom, lessening mm. of choice uh, in that interaction, rather than something that's that's come up to unwind and untangle so that I can actually make a decision about what I want and what I don't want. So the um, signs of abuse are when someone doesn't honor what the other person says, here's what I want, and the other person doesn't honor that, or there is subterfuge, or you know, there are um, emotional abuses. Triggers, gosh, everybody has triggers. But if in the middle of the trigger, you are not able to actually shift, you're not able to actually make a different choice, then there's probably something deeper going on. Yeah, that's a really good point, because if you've had the same problem several times and it hasn't changed, something is wrong with the way you're going about it. You know, so, um, and one of the common sayings we have in relationship counseling is the problem is never what you think it is. The couple thinks they're arguing about money, but it's really a battle of control about who's boss, for example. Mm. Um, or they may be, well, there's only about four things that couples fight about, <laughs> sex, money, chores, kids. Um, and if the fight is about chores, 
you can almost guarantee it's not actually about <laughs> who drives the dishes. Right. And same thing with sex. We always say here, sex problems are never about sex and money problems are never about money. They're always about something else that is being piggybacked to the issue of money or sex or chores or kids. Mm -hmm. Speaking of sex, how do you guys, what's the tool that you guys use when you want to kind of reignite that spark or bring back more intimacy? What would, what would be your go-to tool? Well, first I want to challenge the bring back. Uh, so oh. I, I think it's possible to, by particularly using the tools we've been talking about, uh, particularly being authentic and mm -hmm. listening and focusing on your creativity, that fuels your sexual aliveness because they all come out of the same tube, your, your aliveness, your vitality, your sexual impulses. And so we just consider we're basically, I consider that we're making love all the time. And also, I always say, this is the only six inches you need to worry about in sex. <laughs> communication, clear communication. Uh, like mm -hmm. Saturday night, we had a wonderful lovemaking experience. And the only tool that I used was to say to Katie a little bit earlier, I would love to make love to you tonight and then have a bath together. And yeah. she said, yeah, 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 that sounds good. So that was just using this essential six inches here uh, to mm -hmm. clearly communicate. Mm -hmm. what about By the way, people if people are not watching this, I'm pointing to my throat right now. Oh, uh, yes, good point. <laughs> Those six inches, yeah. <laughs> Some strange appendage coming out of his shoulder. <laughs> If people listening, um, let's say a partner is creating those invitations, but but maybe for, for the other partner, shame or some kind of resistance is getting in the way of them saying yes to that lovely invitation to have a bath and make love and connect. Um, what would you suggest for working with that, that resistance to making love? Well, it's always resolved the same way. At some point, the person, if they want to resolve it, has to speak honestly about whatever the issue is. <laughs> You know, the issue is I don't want to make love to you because I got pissed off last Thursday at something you said to me. Yeah. That's the typical. <laughs> and I'm still mad. And I'm still mad. And um, to make love to you would be to invalidate myself. Yeah. And I'd so, be giving up. Yeah, I'd be giving up. Um, <laughs> so um, we've heard about 113 <laughs> versions of that in here, but that's what it often boils down to. Uh, mm. And so the person has to get honest with that at a certain point. Or uh, oftentimes happens in relationships too, is I've been in situations where, let's say, husband has been mad at partner for years because of something partner did and just mm -hmm. won't budge, just won't get off it. And that's the issue, you know, the the want to stay in control because they don't want to feel the pain of what's underneath mm -hmm. that for themselves and what that means for themselves. And so it becomes important to make the other person wrong so I don't have to look at myself. Um, and, you know, we've had every single confession you can think of here in one way or the other. Everything from, you know, I had an affair with your best friend the night before our wedding. That was an extreme one. Um, that's 
daytime drama quality, you know, the young and the restless quality. <laughs> That's the kind of thing you almost all, all see only on TV. But I can Did they tell repair? you it happens in real life too. Was that couple able to repair from that? Well, here's what amazing. This couple, I still think of them to this day. <laughs> when they came in, their first session, they were such low energy. They kept yawning, yawning and and I kept sort of trying to say, you know, are you sure you guys want to be here? <laughs> um, and I called their attention to the fact that at the end of the session, I said, hey, I don't usually see this much, you know, sleepiness and avoidance of the moment. And um, I want you to go home. The only thing I can think of that causes that kind of sleepiness, I said, is there's a whole bunch of unspoken truths and undealt with truths that you've sat on to get that slowed down. <laughs> the, next the next time they came in, they were like on fire. And I said, you know, what's going on with you? And she says, we've been up for three nights straight telling each other secrets that we've never told, including that one I mentioned that I had sex with the maid of honor or whatever you call her. Is that it? Yes, the maid yeah, of honor yeah, yeah. the night before the wedding, you know, and the best friend of the groom. And, you know, that's about <laughs> as extreme as it gets in, in betrayal situations. Yeah. And that was the biggie. But between them, they had had 25 different affairs. He had had something like a dozen and she'd had something like 13. It was pretty much evenly divided. They'd been married 12 years and they'd had more than 25 or so affairs that time. <laughs> you just cannot handle that much secrecy. The human yeah. body can hardly handle one significant secret without, you know, going crazy. And, but imagine sitting on 25 affairs. So anyway, that's how they got free. And to the best of my knowledge, they're still together. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, they've been together for quite a long time when I left Colorado. So just wow. as, a, um, as a practical hint for, for folks who might be dealing with this issue, if you're feeling a flatness in your connection, you know, you're not feeling that juicy spark, look for what you've been withholding. And it's Ooh. not necessarily the thing, it's the act of withholding. So if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm angry and I didn't share it, then that, uh, if I don't express, then my body begins to withhold. Yeah. And mm. then out of withholding, the other person starts to look different and I project what I'm feeling onto them. And so the, the antidote for that, that we found is really effective is just looking at, okay, what have I been withholding and just sharing that really simply like I'm scared or, you know, I, I'm still mad about or uh, those simple things. Then, boof, you're, you know, back in, in the free flow of your uh, feelings and emotions. Any emotion is about a fact or, a, or a, it's about like the one about I'm mad because you had an affair with my best friend. OK, that's about a fact. Uh, sometimes. An emotion is about another emotion, like you mm. get angry to keep yourself from crying. Or uh. you get, you often use bluster, for example. A lot of <laughs> men particularly use bluster <laughs> instead of saying, I'm hurt or I'm scared right now. 
Um, oh, and classically, women are, are permitted to cry. That's okay. But if women get angry, you know, they get called the B word. So the, mm. we have cultural uh, prohibitions that also influence what goes on in our intimate relationships. But the simpler, the better. You know, what's at, what am I actually experiencing? I found that the, the most effective way to shift is just what's going on right now. I just noticed myself holding my breath and my cheeks are hot. And then that gets the flow of aliveness moving again. Speaking of moving again, I'm uh, feeling the need after an hour to move my body a little bit. I'm recovering from a broken femur, by the way. So yes. uh, I don't like to sit in one place for very long. Yeah. In fact, this yes. is our first joint interview since Gay broke his leg. So I'm oh, feeling great. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> really appreciate both of you and all the wisdom that you've shared. Where can our listeners find you if they'd like to connect more with you and your work? Uh, there are several different places. Uh, we have... Um, Hendrix.com, which is with H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com, where you can find our seminar schedule and lots of information about relationships. And our foundation website has lots and lots of videos about the subjects we've been talking about today, your feelings and how to enjoy more creativity and how to melt your fear. And so, uh, and also we have a Facebook page um, that's called Hearts in Harmony or relationship advice where we give relationship tips every day. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much for being here. And I hope all of our listeners head on over to those sites so they can stay in touch. Thank you so much. Good talking with you. That's it for today, Awakened One. And just a quick thank you from me. Thank you for gifting us with your most precious resource, your time and attention so that we can make this world a more awakened place. And if we're not friends on Instagram yet, then we absolutely should be. So come on over and say hello at Angelica Alana and I'll see you there and see you next week.